0: Lord, we just thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you that you went to the cross, and although it seems strange, you, we pray that you would lead us there. That you would lead us to that place of pain and suffering for you, so that we might know the sacrifice that you have made for us. And Lord, we pray that as we come to the cross this morning, and as we seek to to join you in walking out of the grave. Lord, we pray that we would find courage like we've never had before. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done. In fact, we recognize that we are really sinful and really broken. We need you now more than ever. But courage in the fact that you, the Son of God, would be willing to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. Impress that into us today. Change us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, you can have a seat if you haven't, and uh, find Hebrews chapter 10. And um, if you have been with us, we've been on this journey. Uh, man, one of the things that I love about Christ's community uh, as we try to press into the word together, we just start like we, we think about what we want to preach, we pray, we ask the Lord, uh, What would you have us to preach? And we picked Hebrews a long time ago. And it has been so fitting for this time in the middle of the pandemic because. Uh, the author of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who were thinking about turning away from their faith in Jesus because it had gotten difficult. Uh, there was something that was hard about it. They were thinking about turning back to their old life. And, um, and so, man, aren't we tempted to do the same in this season? So many things about living in this new reality that are difficult is tempting to just go back and do things the old way. But this month of August has particularly been about the word better. Uh, you heard it in better stories, and we've talked about a better hope and a better priest who made a better covenant. And that leads to us uh, to finding courage in our relationship with Christ. And, and as a result, courage in our daily lives. And if there has ever been a time for uh, courage, man, it's now, we need it. And so I'm excited for us to to be all the way to Hebrews chapter 10 today. It's going to put a bow. Uh, for us today on this section of being better and transition us into this final section of the book of Hebrews as we, as we close in on 10 years of being a church here at Christ Community. So uh, I'm excited for that. Uh, if you have uh, the Bible app, we've got notes for today's sermon in there. But let me read for us Hebrews chapter 10 verses 1 through 25 and then pray for our time in the word. since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in the sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year after year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he, that is Jesus, was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You didn't delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then I said, See, it's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, You did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, See, I've come to do your will. Jesus takes away the first to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Now every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds, and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God... Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we thank you for your word. May it be the authority in our lives. God, we pray that you would speak to us today through it about your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. We traded something real for something ritual. We traded something real for something ritual. Hebrews 10.1 says, Since the law is only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. We talked about, it. we constantly remember that the author's writing to these people who are ready to, to trade in something real, their real relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of the God. They're ready to trade that in for something ritual, their Jewish religious system. And so we read verse one, and if we know that and we think through that, we, we're tempted to think, well, how ignorant could these people be? Why would they trade Jesus for for some ritualistic system that, that Jesus is clearly better than? Like we've spent the whole month seeing that Jesus is better than that old system. That system was just a shadow of what we have in Jesus. But we also have to constantly remember, though we may not be tempted to return to Judaism, you and I, there are a slew of ritualistic alternatives that are seeping in and throughout our culture, and even at times affecting our church. Stephen Ingram, in his book, Uh, Hollow Faith, How Andy Griffith, Facebook, and the American Dream Neutered the Gospel. How about that for a loaded title? Hollow Faith, How Andy Griffith, Facebook, and the American Dream Neutered the Gospel. He identifies six ritualistic alternatives to real faith in and, and a real relationship with Jesus that are just meant neutering the gospel, taking all of its power away. He identifies those six as this, moralism. The idea of moralism is that we're more concerned with being good people than with knowing God. The phrase that might be attached to this is, man, he's a really good guy. And all of a sudden that person is a, a, a an authority in our lives. Therapeutic religion is the second one. And, and this is the idea simply that we'll engage with whatever makes us feel better. Whatever makes you feel better becomes your religion. That's what I do. Uh, then there's modern deism. This is the idea that I can use my brain uh, and/or science to, to completely understand God. We're going to talk about these things just in more depth for just a minute, but it's the idea right that I can figure God out. Uh, then there's a term that he uh, gives to us called meism. We don't have to think too hard on this one. It's about me. I'm worth whatever I say I'm worth. I will do what I think is good for me. Me, 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 meism. There's consumerism. Uh, Life is meant to be lived to the fullest. I will find the foods, the experiences, the media that help me consume as much of life as possible because after all, if something's good, how can more of a good thing be bad? I will take in whatever I can. And then there's pluralism. This is the idea that, well, nobody's really got any authority. As long as as you believe in something, some type of God, I'll believe what I believe. This is the phrase, right? I'll believe what I believe and you believe what you believe. We'll just leave each other alone. It'll all work out in the end. So in this book, he says, these things are, they're undercutting, they're neutering, they're taking all the power away from, from Jesus, from what Jesus really has to offer us, and you know, it's easy maybe even to see these things generally. Like, oh yeah, I can see that in our culture. Well, let me tell you about some people that struggle with number four. But let me go back through the list just quickly, and and maybe help us think about if they're seeping into our lives or seeping into the life of our church. Moralism might just be expressed right like this you know, we really engage with the church because we want our kids to have a good moral base. If we just get to church so that the kids can be good kids, like that's, that's really why I'm here. Therapeutic religion. Well, you know, I was going to this one church, but I just wasn't feeling the Spirit over there anymore. And so I'm trying to find a church where I can just really feel good about going to church there. Deism. You know, I, I really want to be a part of the community of the church. I I really I, like I really want to find people that I can connect with. I, I I think it's important, but but you know, there's just like these two things about God that I can't figure out. And until I can figure those two things out, then I'm just gonna stand on the sidelines. Meism, let me bring this one like really practical. I, we did this thing called Love Shellyville. It was great last week. Confession. I've been teaching 101 on Love Shelbyville days. I hadn't been out to serve, like get my hands dirty in a long time. At 2 o'clock when we were still pulling weeds at Painted Stone, I was like, man, this is a commitment. But me as a might say, you know what, Love Shelbyville, I love that our church does that, but that's just not for me. Somebody else will show up and do the projects. Community groups, those just aren't for me. Fill in the blank, that's just not for me. I don't really need a community of people. I've got a community of people where I where I work. I've got to community of people in my home or at a sport, whatever. I've got a community of people. I don't need that. Just whatever I need, which is related really closely to consumerism, right? Which says, well, I can use the Internet to consume what I believe to be the best Christian content I can find. After all, isn't it about consuming as much of Jesus for myself as I can? I mean, is it really that big of a deal if there's never any output of my Christian faith? If I can just take more of Jesus in, that's got to be a good thing, Right? Or pluralism. Listen, I would never want to offend someone who believes something different than I do. So I just won't engage them. I'll just, it's me and Jesus. And I say these things, and I'm I'm thinking about these things in my own life, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. It's real easy to make a really fancy point about these people in Hebrews, that they treated something real for something ritualistic, but I think I might have done the same. Maybe it's clearly one of them for you. You're like, oh, that's me right there. Maybe it's little hints and slivers of some combination of them. Regardless, instead of, if, if we've bought into any of these in any way, instead of us living and making decisions and taking action based upon the truth of who Jesus is, we are living and making decisions and taking action based upon these flawed systems of ritualistic thinking. If I just get into this kind of ritual, it'll be okay. And here's what's even tougher these systems of thinking are what I call self affirming systems. In other words, once I've begun to think in these terms, they continue to affirm themselves as real. All of them put the power uh, right back in, in my head and in my hands and in my thoughts. If I, if I adopt meism, like whatever I say is good, and as long as that's happening, it's good. Right? they're self-perpetuating systems that are very harmful to us. and And even then, things seem like they're good until something goes wrong. You're operating in these systems and then something goes wrong. it's like, well, who are we going to blame? I guess I got to blame me because the system's all about me. And then who feels guilty? I do. Who needs forgiveness? I do. And where will that forgiveness come from? Oh man. I've set myself up as God in my own system. I guess forgiveness has to come from me. Me, you are forgiven. But how many of you've done that? You forgive yourself, and there's just something about that that doesn't feel right. Like guilt is still there, even though you've forgiven yourself. My first car was a Pontiac Bonneville. It was a boat. I mean, that it was huge. Or at least that's how I felt. Maybe I was just a bad driver. Both are possible. First day that I could drive to school by myself, I drive my Pontiac Bonneville to school, and uh, I didn't, I graduated with 68 people. There's not very many cars in the parking lot, folks. But I was faced for the first time with the daunting choice of where to park my boat. So I'm like slowly going through the, the parking lot, and I, I identify a space, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Everything I've learned about driving is going to come into play right now. And I pull into this space and like there's a red Ford truck. I will never forget what the truck looks like in the the space right in front of me. And I'm pulling in and I'm like, how far forward do I pull? So you know how it is, right? You're sitting on the brake like slowly, slowly, slowly. Yep, first day of school driving. The boat Pontiac Bonneville hits the bumper of the red Ford F-150. I back up. Put the car in park, and I step out to survey the damage. Nothing. No smudges, no marks, no dents, no dings. I'm like, good. Blake, you are forgiven. Put the car in park, and let's go to school. So I'm walking the halls, and about 30 minutes later, Daniel Davis, driver and owner of said red Ford F-150 truck, approaches me in the hallway. Did you hit my truck? He talked like that. I'm sorry. I love Daniel David. Did you hit my truck? Somebody told me you hit my truck. In that moment, my self-forgiveness was far from effective, let me tell you. He cared very little about the fact that I had forgiven myself for what had happened. I was guilty. I felt guilty. And real forgiveness could come from no one but him, the owner of the truck. You know, this is the problem in so many things as we come to Scripture we buy into these ritualistic thinkings that affirm our own thoughts it's so easy to buy into because they're self-affirming they're perpetuating we tell ourselves that we can figure this out or we tell ourselves that we know what's right but proverbs 21:2 reminds us that that's not true it says all a person's ways seem right to him but the lord weighs hearts john 3:30 he must increase and i must decrease church in too many ways we've traded in something real for something ritualistic we've traded in worshiping God for attending a church service we've traded walking with God for consuming Christian content we traded in gathering with other believers for just making sure that we get a Jesus fix now we could try and forgive ourselves we could try to make an attempt to, to give ourselves grace we could try that but real forgiveness Real, genuine forgiveness that frees us from our guilt and our shame doesn't come from us. It comes from the one who weighs our hearts. Jesus only offers that kind of forgiveness. Jesus only offers real forgiveness. And Hebrews 10 encourages us today by teaching us what this real forgiveness gives to us. It teaches us that. It does that by comparing the real forgiveness of Jesus to the forgiveness that was given by the Old Testament sacrifices, which in verse 1 we learn are just a shadow. Three ways that the Old Testament sacrifice was was not enough. First, the Old Testament sacrifice reminded us of sin instead of putting sin in remission. It reminded us of sin instead of putting sin in remission. Hebrews 10, 2-4 otherwise, he says, wouldn't they have stopped being offered these sacrifices since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins? If these things worked, right, like why did they keep doing it? But in the sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year after year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he asks this hypothetical question, right? If these sacrifices really worked, if they were complete, wouldn't they be able to quit making them? One would think. But instead, every time they had to keep making sacrifices, they were reminded of their sin and of their guilt. Christ, on the other hand, puts your sin in complete remission. Now, if you or anyone close to you has ever had cancer, that phrase means something different. His blood shed on the cross replaces every sin-stained cell in your body. Every test run after the meeting Jesus would show no signs of the sin of stain in your life. Instead of a temporary sacrifice that reminds you, oh yeah, I'm a sinner and I've got to go make up for it. I've got to do something to pay that off. Instead of that, the blood of Christ puts your sin in complete remission. There are no signs of it. Praise the Lord. The real forgiveness given only by Jesus puts your sin in permanent remission. But there was another way that the Old Testament sacrifices fell short. The Old Testament sacrifices appeased God instead of pleasing God. Check it out. Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Therefore, as Jesus was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. And then I said, See, it's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. And after he says these things... Uh, he then says, see, I've come to do your will. It takes away the first to establish the second, verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. At first glance, this seems a little bit odd. God didn't desire or delight in the sacrifices and offerings of the Jewish law. If he didn't delight in them, why did he require them? We see these sacrifices and these offerings appeased God. They they satisfied the requirements of the law. They still made a way for God's mercy to reign in our lives, but they didn't satisfy the lawgiver. They weren't pleasing to him, and there's a there's a huge difference. Uh, in our kitchen over the pandemic, we've put up a backsplash, and I'm notorious for starting projects and not finishing them. And so we'd done this backsplash, and uh, we'd grouted it all, and I thought it looked great. I was good. But the grout was not, like, it was messy. Like, there was some spots where there was too much and things like that. And we didn't do it correctly. And we realized that the only way to to finish the project was, like, a lot of hard hand work, like sanding, that kind of, yeah. I don't do that. So it sat there for a long time, right? Because to me, I'd satisfied what needed to be done. I got the backsplash up. But let me tell you, it was not pleasing to the owner of the kitchen, and that's not me. Okay, Do you see the difference? The Old Testament sacrifices, they they appeased God. They got got it done, but they didn't please him. So yesterday, Caitlin went around and did all the grout and finished all the grout, and it looks great. Thank goodness we're one. I need her so much. You see, because of Jesus... God looks at you. And instead of saying, yep, good enough, let him into heaven, instead of that, because of Jesus, he looks at you and he thinks, ah, oh, I'm so pleased. You're my son, you're my daughter. I, oh, you're perfect. You are so pleasing to me. I'm so pleased that I get to be with you for an eternity. Real forgiveness from Jesus pleases God. It pleases Him instead of appeasing Him. But there's one more thing about forgiveness that we can learn as we compare these two. The Old Testament sacrifices covered the sin instead of cleansing the sin. Hebrews 10, 11 through 18 it says, Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. And there's so much in that one thing. If you were an old testament priest, like just imagine what it was to like stay in your place, there's a long line coming. Maybe they were socially distanced, I don't know. Not sure it mattered because they brought their animals and you had to slaughter their animals and offer them to God. Like it's a messy, tireless, thankless job that you're repeating over and over and over again. But he goes on. Verse 12: But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He's now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Do you see the comparison? I mean, these Old Testament priests, they are working themselves to the bone in the midst of blood and all kinds of messiness and time after time after time. And Jesus is like, listen, I died once, and now I'm going to be chilling with my father. He will make my enemies his my footstool. What a comparison. The old sacrifices might have covered your sin, but the sacrifice that Jesus made cleansed you from their sin. The work was done. The author goes on to say that the the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life is proof of this. He's the fulfillment of the promise that God made to the prophet Jeremiah, that God's laws will be on, uh, on the inside, on our hearts and on our minds. And with that internal cleansing, the rest of God's promises say that he won't even remember our sins. Verse 17, I will never again remember their sins and there are lawless acts. It calls to mind other passages in Scripture. Psalm 103, 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Or Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, when it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. That's real forgiveness. You can't give that to yourself. Only Jesus can. So I ask, whether you're here with us, you're online, do you know him? Do you know real forgiveness? Or have you lived a life thinking that you're doing some ritualistic Jesus things, and in reality, you're still in control of the system? You're trying to forgive yourself. Because if you've never accepted the real forgiveness that Jesus offers to you, then, then man, there's no better time. There's no thing to wait on. Do it. It is real and it is effective. If you're online, get on your phone right now and text at real life at New Life CCC to eight ten ten, and we'll start a conversation there. And and if you're with us here today, I, man, you may know right now that you need to do this. You can do it right there as you said, but we'll have a conversation before you leave here today as well, because Jesus offers real forgiveness, and when you have real forgiveness in your life it inspires real faith. Real faith. Real, courageous faith. And that's been the author's point of this entire section. And so all these things that he said about Jesus being better, and all these things that he said about how Jesus made a way for you and I, man, they're going to result in, in just a few things that he says here in Hebrews 19, 10, 19-25. through 25. First, I just want us to notice that everything in these six verses is plural. Verse 19 says, therefore, brothers and sisters. Then it says, since we. And then over and over again, it says, let us, let us, let us. And so to that I say, church, nothing is personal when it comes to Jesus. Real faith never happens independently of your brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't say that to imply that you can't have real faith if you don't attend church every Sunday. I don't don't say that to, to condemn. I say that to help us realize that though we might believe our faith is personal, it isn't real until it is expressed to and dependent on other believers whom you are walking through life with. That's the way he made it. Paul David Tripp talks about our need to submit to God and one another by saying this. None of us is wise enough, strong enough, faithful enough, or righteous enough to rule ourselves well. The goal of grace is not to produce in you the ability to live independently. Let me read that again. The goal of grace is not to produce in you the ability to live independently. Mm. The agenda of grace is to transform you into a person who humbly recognizes your need for authority and celebrates the holy, loving, and benevolent authority of God in your life. Christ Community Church, God in his sovereignty has seen fit to bring us, us specifically together into this body of believers for us to believe that we we can each do our own thing or to to, to do church our own way and, and to have it all come out in the end is a farce. Listen, I am proud and grateful for so many people who have stepped up and led in new areas or reached out and checked on people or served in ways that they hadn't in the past. it's, It's allowed us to keep moving forward in so many ways in times that are so incredibly uncertain. But the reality is, the reality is that we are living out our faith independently of each other right now. And when we do that, as I believe we are right now, church, we walk with a limp, We walk hindered. We don't just want you to be a part of Christ Community Church. We need you to be a part of Christ Community Church. God has brought us together. He's brought you here so that your gifts and your personality would would help to shape and mold us into the body of believers that he has called us to be. And when we walk alone, we expose ourselves to unnecessary temptations, and we are tempted, just as the reader of Hebrews are, to turn back to rituals that are actually shadows of false religions that set us up as our own God. And that is why the author is calling us collectively back together. And that's why these three applications that we're going to see and read next are things that we have to do together. These are the things that we need courage to do, and these are the things that we already have the courage to do because of what Jesus has done for us. Quickly, the last three things. Verse 22, let us draw near, number one. Hebrews ten twenty-two says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. When we are forgiven by Jesus and we admit that we need his forgiveness and we're symbolizing that in the baptism of, of water, man, then we can approach God. We can draw near to him. Trailer, I need your help. Come on, man. I was looking for a victim. You're it. I just happened to see you as I walked. Come on up. Many of us, right? Many of us in today's times, we're struggling to carry the weight of our daily lives right now. Maybe it's NTI. Maybe it's quarantine. Maybe it's whatever. There's a lot. And I believe that our biggest reason for struggling is that is because we're not drawing near to God. Let me illustrate the difficulty of that, all right? Trailer... Yeah, you got to lift. You got to lift, bro. He got weak during quarantine. quarantine, All right. So, um, but I think you can do this first one. All right. I want you to stand on the right side of that, close to the. I mean, you can stand inside the the weight there. Can you can you pick that up? Oh, he's got one hand. Can you can you use two hands to get it all the way up? Get the whole barbell off off the ground, like. Oh, look, look at that. He's got it, all right? He's strong enough to do that, okay? All right, now come on down here, right here. I see you got the old one from the Collins. Uh, That's all on Gaither. You can take it out with the coach of Collins, coach of Shelby County. We don't do this over at County. Oh, we don't. here we go. <laughs> here we go. In Christ, we are one. Let us draw together. No, I'm t- all right, get on this end. Now, can you, um, can you from right here... Can you pick the whole thing up off the, off the ground? I don't think so, we'll give it a try. Look at this. No, can't do, this. Can't do can't it. Either. Did you really try? I really tried. He really tried, okay, he really tried. I thought you were stronger than that, but you did go to Shelby County, so. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Give it up for trailer. <laughs> Science tells us, right, the leverage makes that hard. But it also illustrates for us how difficult it is to carry the weight of life when we get away from the Lord. When we're close to him, we can pick things up. We can carry things because he is there with us. But when we get over here and we get out on our own, man, the weight of things, and we don't have him helping to carry that. It's so difficult. You need to be drawing near to God. Now, there's a ton of reasons why you may not be. I I don't know your story. I can't address all those, or we might never leave this place. But I want you to encourage, I want to encourage you today to handle it this way. I want you to think about drawing near to God like this. I want you to grab your phone right now. Grab your phone. I want you to think of someone who you can count on, someone that cares about you. If you don't know someone and you're online, comment on the post. We'll get you connected to someone. If you don't know someone, find us afterwards, all right? Text them. And as you text them, ask them this. Will you text me next Saturday and ask how many days I spent intentional time with the Lord? Will you ask me how many times this week, out of seven, did I draw near to Him? It's practical stuff, church, but we have to do this because when we don't, we're trying to pick up the weight of the world on our shoulders without Him. Let us draw near with true hearts. Let our reasons for not drawing near fade as we seek accountability, and may we not feel condemnation when we can't carry things. It's just a reminder that we need Him. But may we know God that and be confident in our salvation that we can draw near to God when we when we do the weight of our daily lives will be lightened and strengthened by our God. But we need each other, so let us draw near together. Give us the courage to come close, no matter what you might expose in us, Lord. We know that when we do, our courage to walk in this world will grow. Let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold on. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Church, it's not that I don't think we're holding on to Jesus the best we can, but if we are holding on to him as the confession of our hope, and that is not overflowing in our lives to other people, then I have to question if we're really holding on to Jesus. Kirk Cameron said this, If you had the cure to cancer, wouldn't you share it? Guess what? You have the cure to death. Get out there and share it. You see, if our holding on to the confession of our hope in Jesus doesn't result in our holding it out to those who don't have that same hope, we must at some point ask if we're really holding on to the hope of Jesus or if we're holding on to hope in something else. I want to share a paragraph from our church bylaws that help to express our hope for the people who would call themselves members of our church and true followers of Jesus. And as I do, would you ask yourself, does that describe how I'm living my life right now? It says this, We love people through authentic, intentional, and reproducing relationships. We show our love by serving and giving generously to our city and ultimately the world. In doing so, we believe we will see real change in hearts. And so we continually ask the question, if Christ Community Church no longer existed, would we be missed? And now I ask this question, should the pandemic change that hope? The hope that we would be loving people through authentic, intentional, and reproducing relationships? And in light of that, when was the last time you were engaged in a relationship where you saw Jesus change that person's heart? where your point of connection wasn't to sympathize with one another, but to seek Jesus together. See, if your faith is real, your faith will be contagious. People's lives will be changed by Jesus because your faith in Him is changing you. If we're holding on to the confession of our hope without wavering, we will constantly be seeking out authentic, intentional, and reproducing relationships where Jesus is changing people's hearts before our very eyes. But if instead... Our hope is in the resources that we can compile to make it through the pandemic. Our actions will bear that out. We will likely be able to build a bunker of resources that protect us while leaving others to fend for themselves. But if we are holding on to the confession of our hope that is Jesus, then we will simultaneously be holding on to the people that need to meet him. Who in your life needs the hope of Jesus today? Who? They need you. They need you to reach out to them this week. They need to hear from you, not just to check on them. They need to hear you speak the gospel to them. They need you to speak the true forgiveness of Jesus to them. Your hope and the hope that they need, Jesus gives you the courage to do just that. So let us draw near, let us hold on, and let us watch out. Verses 24 and 25. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I need to give a disclaimer and then a confession. The disclaimer. This passage has rightfully been used to hammer Christians over the head for going to church. My confession. The Lord wouldn't let me preach it that way today. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting. I said, Oh, what's that word neglecting mean? The word means to leave behind, to desert, to leave them out in the desert. And I realized as I read those words, and as I as as God's word impacted me, that I was so busy trying to eliminate excuses for why people couldn't be here that I'd lost my ability to empathize with them. I was leaving people in the desert, leaving them behind. I could speak to what we needed to do at Christ Community Church, but I grew tired of listening to what you needed to remain a part of the faith family. My heart was growing hard. I was neglecting you as we tried to gather together. But because I do care, I need to offer this warning as well, because it's a two way street. You may believe that you are simply waiting out the pandemic. You may believe that when things get back to normal, if you're online, you'll be back. You may believe that at some point it all just come rushing back. But the reality is that each of us are choosing moment by moment, day by day, the things and people that we are neglecting. While you are waiting for things to go back to normal, you are establishing rhythms and priorities. You are setting new patterns that you will either have to keep or change in the future. You don't get to just live with nothing happening. I ask not to condemn, but because it's right for each of us to ask one another. Are you neglecting to gather together? Are you leaving it behind? Perhaps even unintentionally. Together, we need to talk about how we continue to gather together. Uh, If you're a covenant member at Christ Community Church, we're going to be having an online conversation and covenant member meeting about that September 13th, that's a Sunday at 4 p.m., uh, on that day, I'm going to share more about where we are as a church, what we're learning, and then we're going to break out into Zoom rooms with uh, pastor elders and discuss those things and pray together and encourage each other as we, as we see the day approaching, is what the text says, right? We need this. We need to not just meet together or check the box on attendance of participation. We need to watch out for one another. We need to not neglect one another. So let us draw near, let us hold on, and let us watch out. You know, when Jesus came to this world, last thing, those who had become his closest followers weren't even acquaintances yet. Many of them didn't even know him. And over the course of a few years, they became like family. They traveled together, they ate together, they partied together, they slept together, every, they learned to love one another. Now imagine, imagine with me, the confusion about their relationship with Jesus and with one another, when the one who had brought them together was crucified on the cross. This guy who brought us together around this huge mission, his big purpose, like he's gone. And they didn't yet realize that his death was giving them real forgiveness for their sins. And yet, something inside of them, a hope that they were holding on to without wavering, their faith in Jesus caused them to come together even in the hardest of times we read that when jesus was resurrected each gospel account tells us that the disciples were together though they were unsure they drew near to god they held on to their hope and they watched out for him together Christ's community that same jesus has brought us together not many years ago most of us weren't even acquaintances And now, because of the forgiveness that is found in the blood of Jesus, he has brought us together. And so the questions now are, will we collectively draw near to him? Will we together hold on to hope by extending it to others? And will we watch out for one another, not neglecting our gathering together? That group that came together in the first century watched the world change before their eyes, one person at a time. That same opportunity is there for us as well if we will simply come together around Jesus and his mission for the church. The band's going to come back up and lead us in a song of response. And this morning, we're responding together, right? Let us, brothers and sisters, let us. But if this morning you realize that you've never accepted the real forgiveness that only Jesus gives, I'll be down here in front, I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. And, uh, you know, we typically, man, what a great morning it would be. We typically take the Lord's Supper. where we take a piece of bread that represents Christ's body. We dip it in the juice that represents Christ's blood. And we take that together to be reminded that real forgiveness has come by Jesus' death on the cross. This morning we walk in newness of life. In light of the resurrection with great hope. And we do it together. Because he has brought us together to be on mission for him. So, would we reflect that in the way that we sing, the way that we respond? If you need to give, you can go to lovecheve.com slash give, or there's a can on the, the, the back table as you walk out this morning. We'll talk more about next steps in just a few minutes. But right now, I just want us to, to bask and to, to, man, feel the weight of Christ's forgiveness for us today. Would you stand with us as we pray and as we sing? Jesus, we don't want to trade in our real relationship with you for something ritualistic. We want real forgiveness, the kind that frees us from guilt and shame and brings us into the presence of the Creator God. We want a real faith in Him, in that. We know it's only through you. And so, Jesus, this morning, we pray that you would help us to be together in pursuing you, drawing near and holding on to that hope. God, more than that, we just pray that if there's any that you are calling to yourself today that need that real forgiveness, we pray that you would give them the courage to step out and to step in to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.